All right. <laughs> I think we need to get a little dance move going up here. Someone told me last week you need to work on a dance move. I'm not sure I'm up to that, but uh, if you want to come up with one, we'll do that, right? So, uh, good to see you Saturday night. Look at you here, man. We we got this place packed out. Good job. Um, my name's Michael. I'm one of the pastors, and I am excited to be with you today. We're gonna. We're, this is gonna be a great, uh, great time. Uh, I think you're going to be challenged, you're going to be excited, there's going to be a lot of freedom that comes from this time of teaching, because it's just, the stuff we're going to be talking about is just, is, is just so exciting. So um, if you're brand new, you may not know this, inside your program there's a green and white message sheet that's really full of information, and you'll definitely want to take that out, and then if you guys are all set and ready to go, I'm going to jump in. You guys ready to go? Okay, let's pray. God, we're just excited to be here, be pursuing you as a church, and we are so thankful as we, as we sang, as Caleb said, that you have pursued us, that there was a time and place where you broke into time and space to rescue us, to renew us, to remake us, and to forgive us. And we just thank you today as we, we enter this series today, we just pray you come and meet with us in a new way, and we pray in your name, amen. amen. Well, our story starts today <laughs> on the island of Oahu. In Hawaii. Anyone from Hawaii here, by the way? Awesome. Great. Um, if you've got some uh, real estate over there, you can place you up me to go see, visit, just let me know. Uh, anyway, it's yearly. On the back. Uh, uh, anyway, so the story starts on the island of Oahu, and uh, he's been here for the last year. He's brought his young family over for a sabbatical. It's a year he's going to spend writing, and it's just been an incredible year for their family because every day... They take a two-hour lunch break. He had a two-hour lunch break from, from, um, from riding, and he and his wife, Sandra, they, uh, they get on their little motor scooter, just one scooter, but they have the two of them and two kids. And they uh, ride down to this little remote beach very nearby, and they just spend this time as a family. Now, the kids are young, so they tend to go and play by themselves, which gives he and his wife about two hours of deep conversation. And in this, over the course of this year, um, their level of communication has just gotten closer, kind of deeper and deeper. They've connected in new ways. Old walls that have built up over the years have broken down brick by brick. Um, but today, a topic has just come up that has always caused huge conflict in their marriage. It's been disastrous. So the question is, now that they've been together this year, can they tackle the untackable and still build their relationship? Well, today, we are continuing this new series that we're in called Renew, the Character of Great Relationships, and uh, if you're brand new, I want to welcome you. So glad you're here. I just want to take a minute or two and just kind of bring us up to speed. Um, this, this series uh, is based on a concept that uh, the Bible says that when, when God calls a man or woman to follow him, to become follower of Jesus, that he not only forgives us. But he calls us into a transformation, a renewal process, and that the goal is for us to be changed and transformed in our core character so that not only can we enter into a new relationship with God, but also we can experience the kind of relationships that we were created for. Now, if you were here last week, you know that we started by kind of going over five core principles that are going to carry us away all through this, this series. And so this first week or two, uh, I want to go back and review those, both of those for those who are new, but also just for all of us, 
um, because I, I want us to understand, kind of make sure we're latched onto this as we go into specific topics. So what I do, take just a minute or two real quick, hit these five core principles um, that we did last week. They're there on your note sheet. Notice the blanks are filled in, so we don't have to take a lot of time with them. Just want to set it up, and then we're going to talk, jump in and talk about our first topic today, which is authenticity. And so there in your note sheet, it's actually called Renew a Quick Review. So number one, the first principle is the one we just talked about, that God's vision is renewal. That when we come to Jesus, that he's got a vision for our life. It's not just forgiveness. That his vision is we will be transformed, renewed in the image of our creator. Now, the core passage of scripture that's going to guide us all through this, this series is uh, Colossians 3, verses 5 through 17. We spent a lot of time with it last week. But right in the middle of that passage, kind of Paul lays out this vision. So it's there in your note sheet. He says uh, to these new Christ followers, he says, put on the new self. So you've come to Jesus, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You've been organically linked to Jesus. You share now in his life, his death, and resurrection. So you have the power now to change and become a new person. So he says, put on that new self, uh, that, new, that new humanity, which is, quote, being renewed. There's our series. It's being renewed. We're in a process of renewal. And the whole goal of this is to be renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. And so we are created in the image of God as a race. We lost that to a large degree. God's uh, vision for our life is set to be restored. We be like him in our core character so we can have this new relationship with him and one another. Number two, character is critical. Last week he saw that often we see great relationships. We tend to assume it's because of natural chemistry or great communication. And as important as both of those elements are, they are important that there is an element that's more important, more critical, and that's our core character, um, that we can't go past that. In fact, in this passage, Paul begins to lay out some examples. Here are the kinds of character changes that have to be happen if you want to live out this new life that with, with God and one another. So there in your note sheet, Colossians 3.12, he says, as God's chosen people, holy, dearly loved, clothe yourselves with, then he gives us five examples, there's going to be more, but five, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And so as we grow in character then, then our relationships can grow, and that leads us to number three, that the greater the character, the deeper the relationship. If you have a little bit of integrity, you're going to have a little relationship. A little bit of honesty, not a whole lot of relationship. A little bit of love, not going to go real far. Uh, you want, if you want a great relationship, we have to grow in these character qualities. The greater the character, the more character we add to a relationship, the more it will naturally grow, whether it's with our kids, whether it's a, a work team, a ministry team, a marriage, a dating relationship, a friendship, whatever. Number four. Uh, number four is character is created by choices. So remember we talked about this, that, that often uh, we think of character as kind of a mystery. Where does it come from? How do we get it? Uh, maybe some people are just born with it. We learn that, no, the character is a result of choices we make, big and small, over time. And so uh, this is the language that Paul uses of we need to put off the old, put on the new. It's a matter of choice. I love the Chambers quote there. No man is born with character. We make our own character. And finally, character takes time. We saw that last week that God's vision for our life is that we'd become people of character like oak trees. In Isaiah 61, it says we'd be oaks of righteousness, not wildflowers of righteousness that spring up quickly and then go away quickly. We're oak trees, but it takes a long time to create an oak tree. It takes a lot of choices to become an oak tree. And frankly, becoming an oak tree is not easy. 
that these, uh, as we talk about the growth of character, it's not easy, that we have to make choices. We have to put off the old, put on the new. We have to die to the old, rise with Christ to the new through the power of his spirit. So it's not easy. It's going to require deaths in our life, but it's all going to be worth it because as we grow, uh, we'll be renewed in his image, we'll be transformed, and then we will be able to build the kinds of relationships we were created for, right? So, and by the power of his spirit. So what we're going to do in this series in is for this week and then the next seven weeks after this, we're going to be looking at eight, count them, eight, uh, <laughs> I've been working on that all week, uh, it's just like, it looks so natural, um, but uh, eight character qualities that are really critical for great relationships, right? And, and today, uh, I'm so excited about this, it's just going to be challenging, it's going to be fun, uh, it's going to be, I think, enlightening, but we're, t- today is going to be the most important one, at least to start with. Uh, the most important base that leads to everything else, and that is a character quality of authenticity. And when I talk about authenticity, I want to define it what I mean right at the top. We'll, we'll refer to all of you. But by authenticity, I mean that we have to learn to be radically honest with ourselves and God, and eventually some trusted others, about what we're thinking, what we're feeling, and our motives, why we do what we do, okay? So authenticity, you got it? Radical honesty with God, ourselves, and others about what we're thinking, what we're feeling, and why we do what we do, our motives. Now, so what I want to do to get at this today is I want to highlight kind of three big picture principles about authenticity, what it is, how it works, why it's so important, and then come back and say, so how do we grow uh, what are the steps we need to take to grow in authenticity? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to highlight four key areas where we need to grow uh, in our life. Right? So number one, there in your, on your uh, note sheet section, authenticity, the first step. And uh, so number one goes like this, that authenticity is the first step. <laughs> it was a long week. Uh, yeah. Now, number two is going to be it's the second step. And... Uh, <laughs> Um, so you say, well, it's the first step to what? Um, and it, what I'm saying, it's the first step to renewal. If you want to be renewed, if you want to become like your creator so that in turn you can build the kinds of relationships we are created for, the first step is radical honesty. Now, if you say, well, why is that? The reason is, if we're not radically honest about what we're thinking and feeling and our motives, we will never be able to identify the areas we need to grow. And if we're not honest about what we're thinking, feeling, and help, and, and, uh, and, and our motives, why we do what we do, not even God can help us. Now, this principle comes from Jesus himself, and I love this, if you've ever studied Jesus you know he was often criticized, right? Uh, and one of the things he was criticized for, he was criticized for a lot of things, but one of the things he was criticized for was that he would often hang out, spend time, invest time in people who were far from God, people who were like the super sinners of his day. And so uh, the religious leaders just couldn't understand this because in their mindset, if you want to get close to God, you have to stay far away from people who are far from God. It's like sin's kind of contagious. You know, stay away. So when Jesus would hang out with people far from God, it was just totally breaking their paradigm, what a a righteous man would do. 
And so one day, Jesus is going invited to a party with these kinds of people, super sinners. And, uh, and so, um, as, yeah, anyway, uh, I, I want to, that's for another day. So uh, I was like, trying, I got so much to say tonight, just keep moving. Um, so tempting to go on. But uh, so he's, uh, so he goes to the party, and they're kind of asking his disciples, what's up with your leader? Why is he hanging out with super sinners? And, uh, and so Jesus overhears them, and he says this, very powerful, Mark chapter 2. He says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And so I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, what's he saying? That, hey, there's some people who need me and some who don't. I've come for the people who, who need me. He's not saying that. What he's saying is he's comparing himself to a doctor, and he says, the reason I've come is to help spiritually sick people. But he's also saying this, that until you realize that you're spiritually sick, I can't help you. And so this just makes sense, right? Like if you start having really some weird symptoms in your body, and you're afraid it's something bad, and so you decide not to go to the doctor, because if you don't go, then you won't find out. Or if you go to the doctor, but you're not honest about your symptoms, I don't care if it's the best doctor in all the world, and I've seen lots of them. UCLA, USC, Cedars-Sinai, I don't care who your doctor is, if you're not honest about your symptoms, the best doctor in all the world cannot help you. And so Jesus says, this is sort of the first step. If you're going to get, get well, you have to be radically honest about where you're sick, like what's, what's wrong. And so this is so important. I want you to catch this. I want neon lights around this. If we are not willing, as we go through this series, to be radically honest about our lives, where we're winning, where we're losing, strength of character, weakness of character, we might as well pack up and go home. Because Jesus can only help us in the areas we're willing to be honest. Otherwise, we're like the religious leaders. They're going like, I don't need you. I don't have a problem. That's number one. It's the first step. So in this series, if you're not willing to be radically honest, then you won't know what to put off and what to put on. You can't get better. You can't be renewed. Number two. Number two is that authenticity is not easy. Now, we're going to spend some time with this one because this is really critical. We understand this and we grow in this area. Um, authenticity, like, as I talk about being radically honest with yourself and what you're thinking, feeling, and your motives, I think for a lot of us, we go, well, okay, I got that. That's good. I do that. Right? I, I got that. But the reality is, as fallen human beings, you know what comes natural to us? Denial and rationalization. That's what comes naturally. Have you ever met someone who's like super angry? And you say, it looks like you're getting upset. I'm not upset. <laughs> well, it seems like it. It just seems like you're kind of upset. I told you I'm not upset. Would you stop saying that? I'm not upset. Well, you know, it's just that the veins in your head and your neck, I, I, it's kind of weird, you know? But we do this, right? It's like we, we do this is that that uh, it's not as easy as it sounds to be radically honest. 
And there are many reasons for this, and I wish we had more time. I don't have time to go into great detail, but just a couple, like right at the top, and then I want to delve in where I want to go, but, but like pride, right? Like we want to believe we're better than we are. Think of the last time you were in a, a, a conflict, a fight or something with your spouse or a friend, and they called you out on something in your life. What was your response? Thank you for telling me. I didn't know that. No, our response is, I'm not like that. The problem is you. You're like that. So we're going to deflect. We're going to blame. We're going to rationalize. It's just our human pride. We don't want to admit the truth about ourselves. A second reason that it's hard to change is that we're not ready or willing to change. Like as long as I am convinced I don't have an anger problem, that my problem is you, you just push my buttons... That if you would start being a good wife, we would not, I would not have an anger problem. You are my problem. As long as I want to ignore my problem, I'm not accountable for it. I don't have a problem. I don't need to change. I'm not greedy. I'm not jealous. I'm not angry. I'm not bitter. The moment I admit that there's something wrong... I am now accountable. And so lots of times we don't want to be honest because now we got to deal with it. But the reason I want to focus on is not so much pride or an inability or unwillingness to change, but I want to talk about fear. I believe that one of the biggest reasons it's hard for us to be radically honest is fear. And a specific kind of fear. It's a fear of rejection. Now, this can happen at a human level, right? Like, I, I'm afraid to tell you my life or what I've done or what I struggle with or what my temptations are because I'm afraid that then you'll, you know, reject me. That, that can happen at a human level, but that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about something much more foundational. I'm talking about a fear of rejection by God himself. I, I want to tell you there's a fear that if I am honest with God about what I'm thinking and feeling, we would never put it this way, but deep inside there's a fear that God himself will reject me or condemn me. Now what's really interesting is that as followers of Jesus, that we talk about grace all the time, don't we? And we believe theoretically that we are saved by grace not by our performance. But in our own lives, the reality is often we don't understand our relationship with God. And we don't really trust in that grace. We still kind of see that our relationship with God is based on our performance. And so as a result, we, uh, it's like being in a bad marriage. You don't want to be honest because it might cause the marriage to break up. And so, of course, the Bible is clear on this, and we don't have the time to go into a big teaching on grace, but the Bible is clear like that when, when a man or woman comes to Jesus and gives their life to Jesus, catch this, we change status. That we move from being an enemy of God to being a friend of God. We move from being a, uh, what the Bible calls sons of disobedience to sons and daughters of the king. Now, that doesn't mean that God is always happy with us. 
And is any father going to be pleased with us or not pleased based on the choices we're making? But catch this, as a son or daughter, there will never be a time he doesn't love you. There will never be a time he's not for you. If he disciplines you, it'll be out of his father's love to help you get back on track. And so, so theoretically, we understand that, but often in real life, we don't understand that. And so what it does is when it goes to our, we come to our time of prayer, we come to our time with relating to God, we are afraid to admit that we are really pissed off. And I choose that word carefully. Right? I was just going to say angry, but I want to be a little bit more real. That we're afraid to say, I'm really pissed. We're afraid to say, I feel like I want to kill that guy. We're afraid to say, I'm going crazy here. It's like, I, I feel like this drive for, for porn, or I have a same-sex attraction, and I just, I, no matter what I do, I can't. We, we have a hard time admitting our, the dark side of who we are what the Bible calls our flesh. We have a hard time of being radically honest because deep inside, we believe that if we're honest with God, that he will reject us. There will be a wall between us, and so we pretend. But catch this. When we pretend, we are become just like those religious leaders who are afraid to come to Jesus, and, and as a result, we won't get healed. It's only in radical honesty that there is healing. I want you to catch this. As followers of Jesus, we, of all people, should be the most authentic people in all the world. Because we have nothing to hide. We have no fear. We can be honest with ourselves because God is for us, not against us. We've come into the kingdom, and you know, the moment I gave my life to Jesus, do you catch this? I became his problem. <laughs> the Bible says I don't belong to myself anymore. I've been bought with a price. I don't belong to me, I'm him. So anything screwed up with me is not my problem, it's his problem. Now, can I tell you something? There was a time I didn't understand that. And when I didn't understand that, I was, I'd come to a place in my life, I was afraid to go hear another sermon. There were so many areas of my life I was screwed up. I did not want to find one more. I was already failing in so many areas. But after I began to understand grace, it changed everything. And now I was excited to go to church and find out another thing wrong. Because you know what? It's like, that is awesome. That's another area he can grow me. That's another area he can heal. And so instead of being afraid to read my Bible or pray, or because I was going to find something else wrong, it became like, what else can I find? You know, in Romans chapter 7, Paul says this on your, on your note sheet. Paul says as he looks at his human nature, his human experience, he says, Apart from Jesus, he says, I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. Now, apart from Jesus, his work in my life, I'm a fallen human being. And once we understand that, that God loved us before we even came to him, when he knew what we were, once we get clear on that, and he's called us and he's come to heal us, 
It just brings a new freedom in our life. I don't have to pretend anymore. He is my doctor, and I can come, and I can be radically honest about anything in my life and say, Jesus, here's another thing that I just realized. I need healing. I need your, I need your, your help. And it, and it leads to great freedom. You know, there on your note sheet, I'm going to be quoting a couple times uh, today uh, from Peter Schizero. He's a pastor, author. He wrote a really great book. I highly recommend it, The Emotionally Healthy Church. But look what he says. He says, going beneath the surface of our lives can feel as if we're walking a tightrope 50 feet above the ground without a safety net. But the gospel is like a safety net. It alone gives us the foundation to take the risk of stepping out into the tightrope in order to explore our inner depths. The gospel says, I love this, you are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared to believe. You're worse than you thought. You thought you were bad? You're a lot worse. He says, yet you're more accepted and loved than you ever dared hope because Jesus lived and died in your place. And it's such a sad thing. Sometimes you'll run into a Christian who's not yet learned this, and they are the most fake. You know, you know Christians can be the most fake people around. Right? Christians can be the most fake because until we understand this, here's what happens. We come to Jesus, and we have these new high standards we're to live by. And yet, if we're not understand grace, we know we're going to fall short. And, and so intuitively, we pretend to be something we're not. And sometimes this can happen in a whole church. So you mean a church like this where everyone's put on the happy face, everyone's smiling, what's going on in your life? Oh, it's all good, you know? And the reason is we don't understand grace. Once we understand grace, we're able to run to our physician and say, here's another thing. I'm so glad you're here because you can heal me in one more area, all right? So, so it's, the point is, is that authenticity is not as easy as it sounds. Now, number three, the third thing is that authenticity is vital. Like, if you want to build solid relationships, uh, deep connections in your life, authenticity is vital. And the reason is um, because relationships, the catch is going to sound very profound, but stick with me. Relationships... <laughs> are based on relating. <laughs> All right, yeah. Now, I want you to stop and think about that. What I mean by that, it's actually quite profound. It sounds kind of obvious, but it really isn't. What I mean by that is relationships are based on relating. Like, the, way, the reason you and I can build relationship is because we can relate to one another. Right? Have you ever had this experience like uh, I, I, maybe you go over to a friend's house or you go on a camping trip. It's just maybe two guys out, you know, camping in the wilderness or kind of a uh, couple girls or, you know, spending the night, girls' night out sort of thing, whatever the deal is. And you spend that, you end up staying up late and you share some of your secrets. And there's a new bond, right? And the new bond is there because you've trusted one another with some important information, but it's also information you can relate to. 
It's like, oh, we're the same. We're similar. So relationships are based on relating. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, friendship is born at that moment when one person says to another, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. He said, what draws people to be friends is that they see the same truth. They, they share. So, so catch this. If you share about a doubt in your life or a fear in your life or a failure in your life or a hope in your life or a dream in your life, and I'm in touch with my hopes and dreams and failures, we can relate to one another. I, I've experienced that. But what happens if I'm out of touch with myself? What happens if I'm kind of pretending even to myself and living a lie? Oh, I don't get angry. Oh, I'm never tempted. I'm never, what happens is you share that, we miss one another, and that person senses it. They sense that I'm not safe, and I'm like going, oh, that's weird. I've never felt like that. We will never build relationship. Relationship is based on relating. And if you don't know the real you, you can't have relationship with the real me. Brennan Manning, I'll quote him a couple times today, but in one of his books, Abba's Child, he says, experience has taught me. I connect best with others when I connect with the core of myself. And Schizero says, without doing the, the work of becoming aware of your feelings and actions, and I want you to remember that phrase, aware of your feelings and actions, because we're going to come back to that later. I'm going to ask you a question later. Along with their impact on others, it's scarcely possible to enter into the life experiences of other people. How can you enter someone else's world when you have not entered into your own? So what I want you to catch here, this is why authenticity is so important. It is the first step to growth. I say this every next step dessert in my house because authenticity is value number two of our church. Doing life honestly. Authenticity is number of, because this is so core to who we are as a church. And I share it every next step is that we want to create a church where it is safe to be honest and real about what, who you are, what you're going through, when you're winning, and when you're losing, because we believe that authenticity is the first step to growth in any area of your life. If your marriage is messed up, the first step is to admit that it's messed up. If you're with, we're no worse than anyone else. Everyone has troubles. We're not that bad. As long as you want to pretend, you will never seek help. And as long as you want to pretend you don't have an anger issue, or you don't have a greed issue, you don't have a compassion issue, you don't have a harshness issue, you don't have a self-control, as long as we want to pretend, we will never grow. It's the first step. It's not easy. It takes boldness. It takes courage. It takes risk. It's not easy, but it's vital because relationships are based on relating, all right? Now, that raises a question that, well, how do we grow in authenticity and what I want to get at this, I want to focus on four areas of our life that we need to grow in if we want to learn to be renewed uh, in the image of our creator, and we want to build these kinds of uh, relationships we're talking about. And what I'm going to do is I have four, four areas, but I'm separating up in just a two points because three of the four uh, kind of go together, they're interconnected, and we've talked about them a lot already. So there in your note sheet, authenticity, where to start. The first one is on your thoughts, emotions, and motives. Now, I've used this language all message long, uh, but I want you to write it down because this is what I'm saying, that if you're going to grow, if you're going to become like your creator, if you're going to be renewed, that you have to become committed 
to radical honesty in what am I thinking, how am I feeling, and why am I doing what I'm doing, or why did I in the past do what I did, or what did I do in the past, uh, and, and because without this, we will never grow. So I want to ask you a question, and the question is, how honest are you about your interior world? I want you to think about that. How honest are you about your interior world? How in touch with you are you with your inner world? Can, let me, can you name your thoughts and feelings and emotions? Can you name them? Can you acknowledge them? Can you own them? And when I ask this question... I'm talking about both the positive and the negative, the good, bad, and ugly, right? Like, like do you know your hopes and dreams? Do you, do you know your loves and your joys? Can you identify those? Um, can you own those? How about on the dark side? This is the harder one. On the dark side, can you, I, can you name and identify? You know, for example, if you're, if you're in a life group, and as a man, you have a natural chemistry towards a woman in your life group other than your wife, can you name that? Can you, can, you, can you say, I have a natural draw to her. I need to watch that relationship. Can I tell you what I do when I have that happen? The very first thing I do, I tell my wife. It happens fairly often in our relationship. Hey, this person, just, I'm just saying, there's a natural connection there. Now, if you're single, that's fine, right? This happens when you're single because you know, that's the kind of person I'm going to date. Here's why we get married and we pretend it stops. It doesn't stop. And so if there's a woman in, in this church, it could be outside, but you care more about here. <laughs> I have a natural connection with, a natural draw I'm going to go to Jesus first and just have a conversation. Lord, I know you know this. With that person, there's a natural chemistry there. And so I'm just kind of putting it on the radar. I'm just, I, wanna, I just want to get it out in the open, and then I'm going to tell my wife, hey, just so you know. This, uh, she goes, and you know what my wife would say? Yeah, I could see it. <laughs> We've been married 40 years, right? And we have a very honest relationship, not hidden from her. And so, she said, yeah, yeah, I can see that. Okay, good. Let's move on. Yeah. But it not make a big deal. So, your inner world, when you're angry at someone, can you name it? Can you say, I am really ticked off. I'm angry at that person. Can you say, I'm jealous of her? Can you say, I am envious of him? It drives me crazy. We're struggling so hard to make it, and they're just in a big, beautiful house and nice cars and the yacht. It's like, why does he get it? Can you name it? If you can't name it, you can't change it. If you don't name it, you can't change it. If you don't identify it, you can't put it off. So I'm asking, is it in your inner world, especially on the dark side, can you identify your thoughts can you identify your emotions? Can you identify your motive? And can you name it and own it? 
Now, like I said, this is often difficult, right? Um, it's difficult for a lot of reasons. Maybe it's our pride. Maybe it's we don't want to change. Maybe it's a fear of rejection. Maybe it's, uh, you know, we, maybe even as a Christian, we think, that's not po- I should have a positive confession. I should just always be positive, you know? Um, but the reality is, you know, the Bible is a very honest book. And it models radical honesty. This week in your life group, if you're, you're doing a life group, so you'll have some examples of that. But I want to give you two or three real quickly that just probably surprise you, at least for some of you, that you've never seen this before. But like the first one's from Job. Now, most of us know the story of Job, right? He's going through this time of incredible suffering, like incredible suffering. Um, and he's just tired of it. He can't figure out why. Like he hasn't done anything wrong to deserve it, so he can't figure it out. And we're breaking in the middle of one of his prayers here in chapter 7. But he's talking to God, and he says, If I have sinned, what have I done to you, O watcher of men? (laughs) Like, what is up? He says, Why have you made me your target? Have I become a burden to you? I despise my life. Let me alone. My days have no meaning. That's fairly honest. How many of you have prayed like that recently? Oh, I can't pray like that. You might strike me dead. Here's Psalm 55. One of the, the Psalms are full of this, but I just picked one almost at random. This psalmist says, my thoughts trouble me. I'm distraught. I'm really worried. I'm afraid. I'm worried. My heart is with anguish within me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. You know, saying like, hey, all things work together for good to those who love God. You know, I can do all things through Christ. He's saying like, I'm, I'm sucking air here. I, I'm feeling like I'm going down. Uh, I love what Philip Yancey, a great author, writes in the Bible Jesus read. He says, the 150 Psalms present a mosaic of spiritual therapy in process. He says, doubt, paranoia, giddiness, meanness, delight, hatred, joy, praise, vengefulness, betrayal. You can find it all in the Psalms. Such strewing of emotions, which I once saw as hopeless disarray, I now see as a sign of health. From Psalms, I have learned that I can rightfully bring to God whatever I feel about him. I need not paper over my, my failures and try to clean up my own rottenness. Far better to bring those weaknesses to God who alone has the power to heal. Who does that sound like? Start with Jesus, right? I've come to help the sick, not the righteous. But even uh, Jesus himself, you know, this amazing scene we take for granted, but in Gethsemane, look, you know, it says, he says, Jesus says to his disciples, stay here while I pray. And he took Peter and James and John. Now catch this level of transparency. We started about being honest with God, uh, ourselves, God and others, kind of trusted others. We had to choose carefully, right? People that can be trusted. But he takes his three closest friends at the moment of greatest crisis in his life. He invites them in to his life. And he says, stay here while I pray. And, he, and so he takes Peter, uh, Peter, James, John, along with him. He began to be deeply distressed and troubled. He said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. I feel like I'm about to die. I, I love the way um, the New Living Translation, it says, I feel crushed with grief. The message, uh, paraphrase, I love this. It says, I feel like I'm in a sinkhole of dreadful agony. 
Now catch, and he didn't go off by himself. He took his men with him. He, he shared this with him. Schizero again says, Scripture portrays Jesus as the one who had intense, raw, emotional experiences and was able to express his emotions in unashamed, unembarrassed freedom to others. He did not repress or project his feelings onto others. Instead, we read of Jesus responsibly experiencing the full range of human emotion throughout his earthly ministry. In today's language, he would be considered emotionally intelligent, which we're going to talk about next week. Anyway, so um, anyway... Uh, this is where we need to start. How honest are you with your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions? If you feel like this is hard, it is hard. And often we're going to have to grow in grace, which is a process. We're going to have to study the Word. What does the Word say about our relationship with God and, and our, the, the security of that? We're going to have to listen to the Holy Spirit, have to enlighten our eyes. Often it helps being around believers who are a little further down the road in understanding grace because you can kind of model off of them, learn off of them, and also as they love you well with grace, you can experience God's grace that way. But it's a process. One last quote before we, we go on. Uh, uh, here's one from Brendan Manning. He says, sometimes we harbor an unexpressed suspicion that Jesus cannot handle all that goes on our hearts and minds. We doubt that he can accept our hateful thoughts, our cruel fantasies, our bizarre dreams. We wonder how he would deal with our primitive urges, our inflated illusions, our exotic mental castles. The deep resistance to making ourselves so vulnerable, so naked, so unprotected is our implicit way of saying, Jesus, I trust you, but there are limits. By refusing to share our fantasies, our worries, our joys, we limit God's lordship over our life, and we make it clear there are parts of us that we do not wish to submit to a divine conversation. It seems that the master had something more in mind when he said, trust in me. Trust me. Trust me, I love you. You're mine. I'm not going to leave you. You're precious to me. I'm passionate about you. I know you're screwed up. I knew you're screwed up. In fact, you are so much more screwed up than you could ever imagine. <laughs> but it doesn't change the way I feel about you. I love you. I died for you. You're secure in this world. There's nothing that you're going to say or do. There's nothing that's going to that you're going to be, tell me that's going to cause me to withdraw from this relationship. I love you, and I need you to be radically honest, because if you do, your problem becomes our problem, and I can step in to that relationship and begin to bring healing. Now, number two, remember I said there's four areas, we just covered three, but I, I want to end with this last one, because this one's a little different. It's kind of the same sort of process as Thoughts, motives, feelings, but it's a specific focus, and that's the past. That if we're going to grow, if we're going to be renewed in the image of our creator, we're going to be transformed, we have to learn to be honest about our past. Now, we're all products of our past. We're all shaped by our past. We've all, we're shaped by the decisions, the choices, the sins, the experiences, the successes, the failures, our family, a huge part of who we are. 
And, uh, and sometimes we can be very honest about that, but often because of the pain or because of betrayal or because of um, really painful experiences, that sometimes we can just try to wall off the past and say, I'm, just, I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to deal with the past. I'm just going to leave the past. I'm just going to move forward. I'm a Christian. All things are new in Christ. I'm just going to move forward in time. The problem with that is until we invite Jesus into our past, the past often controls our present and our future in ways that we don't even begin to understand. Let me give you an example. You know, we started the day with this story of this couple on the beach in Oahu. It's a true story. And uh, Stephen Covey tells a story in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It's his own story. And, uh, and it's the story of his marriage and you know, as they were on the beach uh, over that course of the year, their relationship got deeper and deeper, and their trust built, and all walls came down. There's just a new intimacy and love in their relationship, and it was just a beautiful thing. But one day on the beach, this topic came up, and for those of you who have been married any length of time, you know how this is, right? There are certain topics, they're just, they're just hard to talk about. You know, they come up, and it's like every time you end in a fight or whatever, it's just... And so this topic comes up that had come up many times in their marriage that it just always led to disaster. And the question was, had they grown enough to where they could actually process this together? And so here was the issue. And it was kind of a silly issue like issues in marriage often are. But the issue was is that um, she was passionate about buying Frigidaire appliances. Right. So... Whenever they bought a major appointment, it had to be a Frigidaire. Now, she couldn't explain this. She said, no, you just need to buy a Frigidaire. And uh, especially early in their marriage, this was really hard. They're often more expensive than other brands they could have got. Uh, the closest, uh, when they were in college, the closest appliance store was 50 miles away for Frigidaire. And so it had just been an issue throughout their marriage, and it was an issue to him that represented all irrationality <laughs> in the way his wife, Sandra, thought. And it was just the image, because she couldn't explain it at all. No, we just need to get friends. Why? It's not better. You know, consumer reports aren't better. Uh, it's, it's more like, why? And no, we just need to get this. So to, to, to him, it was just like so irrational, irritating. Um, and to her, it represented everything insensitive in him. Why don't you love me enough? It doesn't matter why. Just do it. Yeah. <laughs> but in the safety of their relationship, that day on the beach when it came up, they began to delve in to see if they could process this. And as they did, a memory came back. A memory that she was completely forgotten. And what she remembered that day was that when she was a little girl, that her father was a high school teacher and coach, and their finances were very tight. And so as a result, um, he opened a small appliance business on the side. And about that time, at one point uh, in, in the life of this business, there was a major recession in the country. And he was about to lose everything, but Frigidaire was the only company that would extend him credit, give him product on credit. 
Now, at that time, she was still a little girl. Every day, he would come home from work. He'd lay down on the sofa. She would sit at his feet. She would rub his feet and sing to him. And he would talk about their day. And he would share with her the worries of his life and his business. And he would share with her about Frigidaire and how thankful he was for this one company that would trust him and extend credit so he wouldn't lose his business. Well, in that moment, the moment it came back, it suddenly all made sense. That this wasn't about Frigidaire appliances. This was about her father and about her love for her father, about a company that was loyal to her father and their family during time of need. And so when it came back, it all made perfect sense, not just to her, but to her husband. But here's what I want you to catch. That though she had completely forgotten the past, the past was still impacting their marriage decades later. And you know, sometimes we're afraid to go back to the past because what's there. And if the Lord has healed you from the past, that's a great thing. I'm not talking about always going back and dredging up every little thing. I'm not talking about that. But what I'm saying is that if there's rooms of our life and our past that we're afraid to open the door, I can almost guarantee you that room is controlling your house. And so we need to have the courage to open that door with Jesus and and bring Jesus into that room for a healing and for understanding. And as we do, we get freedom from our past so we can move into the future that God has for us. And so what I'm hoping you're taking with you today is that as we go on this journey of renewal, that truly authenticity, learning to be radically honest about who we are, what we're thinking, what we're feeling, why we do what we do, is the first step towards renewal. Because only when we're radically honest can we bring the truth about who we are and our character out into the light so that there we can be healed. And now we know, because we've named it, what we can need to put off and what we need to put on so we can become like our creator and build the kind of relationships that we're created for. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for what you're doing in our church. And I just thank you that We sense you here, God. We sense you here in teaching and leading, opening eyes. And God, we we just want to be in a place where we are open to your Holy Spirit. There's there's no secrets. We invite you into any room of our house, and we feel perfectly free to be completely honest with you about who we are, because there and there alone can we be healed. And so, God, we pray you give us the courage. And as the band plays, as they sing over us now, as we listen to the words of this song, we pray you minister to this as we process with you, with your Holy Spirit, what you're saying to us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow, isn't it good to be in the presence of the Lord? And isn't it good to be in the presence of His truth? I think of Paul's call to the Galatians. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. So stand firm. Don't let anyone take it away. And with us, we, we understand God's grace. We move into a freedom, a perfect freedom. 
where we can be completely honest, the good, the bad, and the ugly, there we find healing, there we find renewal, and then we're, there we find change so that we become the kind of person who can build great relationships. As we go today, a couple of things. First of all, remind you that we always have a ministry of prayer team over to my right over here against the wall. They have badges on. If you have prayer, need prayer for anything, they would love to pray for you. Remind you, if any questions on budget, elders, church direction, over in the summit after the meeting. Now, next week, I'm really excited. Next week, um, you know, today was like first step in the process, right? But next week, we start, we start building into relationships itself. And to me, it's a cornerstone of relationships, and that's integrity. Amen. And the reason integrity is so important is because integrity is the secret of trust. If you can increase the level of integrity in a relationship, you can trust someone to always tell you the truth. So they'll keep their commitments. They're the same person in private as in public. They're a person that lives out their values. They ask the right questions in life. You meet a person like that, you can build a relationship because you know you can trust them. So the question is, are you that person? Next week, we're going to unpack integrity, the secret of trust. I hope you can be with us. Until then, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. May the fellowship of his Holy Spirit that opens our eyes to understand what Christ has done for us and who God is, may the fellowship of the Spirit be alive and well in your life this week. May this be a week you run to your Father with new freedom because you understand the security you have in Christ and the depth of his love. And may this be a week you experience increasingly the freedom of God in your life that you don't have to be afraid of who you are anymore. That you can be confident to go in and to know that your Father loves you and there's nothing you can say that will ever stop him from loving you. And there, as you are radically honest, you can find healing from the one who came to be a doctor to bring salvation to our souls. Amen? Amen. God bless you. I love you. See you next week.